moving into my 30s or coming up to approaching my 30s, I actually did feel like a failure. I felt like I hadn't found the thing that I could literally sit in and thriving based upon my talents. And I did feel like at numerous points, there were just too many blocks. I'm like, what are you trying to show? Like, what is it meant to be this difficult? Because there's just too many blocks. Hey, hey, I am Michelle Orsu and welcome to the Success After 30 podcast. In this series, we'll challenge society's myth of achieving all your life goals by the big 3-0. And in turn, we'll encourage you to redefine what the meaning and timeline of success actually looks like to you. Are you ready? Or let's go. So for this very first episode, I'm super, super, super excited to have this amazing lady. I've known her for a while. I don't know how long it's been now. How long has it been? I don't even know. It's years. Years. It's, it's Was it Blonde Delight good, Days? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah but maybe even before that. I think maybe from 2014, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. Ages ago. But as soon as I had the idea of doing this podcast, this woman popped into my mind. Um, just because she's always been a smiley, bubbly personality. She's always grabbed opportunities by the horns. She's always lived by her own rules, or that's the impression I at least got from her. And I thought it would be really interesting to hear her journey and her story, because I think there'll be some really interesting insights that we can gain. She is a presenter, a change agent. I would love to hear a little bit more about that. I'll let you explain (laughs) it. And also a newly published author. Maybe not gunshots. That is way too south. <laughs> You're so <laughs> funny. <laughs> Introducing the magnificent, the magical Lisa Bent. Oh, that is such a cool opening. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Appreciate that. Oh, I mean it. I mean it. So I want to just hand over the mic to you to talk so that you can talk a little bit about what you do, especially that change agent angle and this is not the podcast to be humble I don't want any oh yes you know so you know I just a little bit of this. <laughs> gas yourself up please because you deserve it so take it away okay so in regards to change agent it's literally emerging of both my professions as a counsellor and as a HR business partner um at the center of of what I do is people and I feel like In the business corporate settings, you know, there's a wealth of training that we put on as HR business partners, um, which is fantastic. But at the core of all of that is who are you before you come to work? Because Mm. you're still the same person in work. So I have basically just decided to merge those two professions together to get to the core of who people are and the limitations that hold them back. Yeah, it's true. You Go often on. divide yourself, isn't it? You sort of think, okay, this is who I am at work. This is who I am at home with my friends. And to have that constant split of your personality can be draining to see it it's that way. so draining. And I'm all for people accessing and, and honing into the, the full aspects of who they are. And to be honest, it's not really people's fault. I think, you know, um, back in the day, I mean, the workplace is changing now, but back in the day, you know, you had to almost split yourself up because of how the work, the world of work is due to microaggressions, you know, um, beforehand, you know, it was almost seen as a bad thing to tell your workplace too much about what you do outside of work because it would go against you. And now 
the beauty of having a colourful CV right now, you know, post mm-hmm. or, I mean, we're still in COVID, but the beauty of having that is is essential. I just don't feel anyone now needs to, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work to hide aspects of yourself and not bring all of who you are to the table. And, exactly. and I really feel like that is, is now changing, which, which is necessary. It's always been necessary. No one is one thing. We are all diverse beings with a, a plethora of, of talents. And I think any good um, uh, organization would, would, really, would really do well in acknowledging that and literally seeing each individual and, and what they can actually bring to the organization. And you've also been doing presenting as well. I was a presenter back in the day before internet. <laughs> you know, if you know about VHS, <laughs> that was no, a kind of, <laughs> I'm old school. So I began as a presenter on a show called Rolling. I got to to in- to interview a lot of people. I mean, we're Who talking. Drop some names, please. Drop the uh, names on the floor. So. <laughs> From Jennifer Hudson, Alexandra Ooh. O'Neill, Danny Boyle, Chillian Murphy, um, Ben Wong. The list is en- endless. You know, I got to do red carpet. I got to go to LA to the BET Awards. Okay. Um, I've, I've hosted events at BFI. I've hosted a few festivals at, um, at BFI. Um, I, it's, it's just a really, really long list. And um, you, you won't really get, and it's a shame because you don't, you don't really get to see my back catalogue because of VHS, because it just it won't stand the test of time in this whole, you know, HD <laughs> reality that we kind of yeah. now live in. But the, the, the work is most certainly there. And, but I gave up, I actually quit presenting uh, when I was 27. I got mm. tired of the politics, man. Why? I got tired. Let's take it back there then. Seeing as you've mentioned it, what was it like during your 20s to try and pursue a career in entertainment? I know it's different now. As you sort of said, we've got social media. People can actually own their own platforms to get themselves out there. But I think back then we were relying so much on the establishment to give us that representation. Exactly. And it was so it was so difficult. It was so difficult. It's like you weren't really seen. We were invisible. Um, I remember having one meeting at uh, a top a top uh, institution and you know I was in this meeting and they're both looking at me but they're talking about me and I'm sitting there right in front of them in the room and it's the day the day that I decided not to do presenting anymore it's the day I had that meeting and they were both you know look at me and they were talking about me and they're like oh my god I love her hair do you think we should change it though do you think it needs what? to be longer yeah I was like I'm done I, I, I want to be in the industry I want to do this but I don't want to do it like that you know, I had one top person tell me that, um, oh, when I think about it back then, I was young then. I think I was about 19, actually. I was in university. I was studying performing arts. And I left uni because I got invited to go to this networking event. And this top producer told me that, you know, he could really change my career. Um, you know, he would fly me out to New York, you know, meet loads of people. But even at 19, I kind of knew it was coded for so much more. <laughs> I literally right, had yeah. my head so on. Do you know what I mean? I, I knew it was coded. And um, I said to him with my feisty 19-year-old self, I said, you know what? Like, no, it's no, I, that's just not what I'm about. It's not who I am. And he said, well, you know, you're black, don't you? And I goes, oh. well, what does that mean? Yeah. Like, what does that mean? He went, you're black. So it's going to take you 10 times or 10 years longer to get where you need to get. And I just said to him, do you know what? If it takes me 10 years longer, it takes me 10 years longer. I'm not, I'm not doing that. 
That's not who That's I am. Integrity. It is integrity. It is integrity. And I think just early on, I kind of knew that what is fame? I questioned it from a very early age. Like, what is fame? Because as soon as the lights and the cameras are off, fame doesn't exist. Fame is a fleeting moment. You know, I, I remember when I went to, to LA for the BET Awards and I saw the red carpet roll out. And then afterwards, I saw it roll back. Like, it's done. <laughs> it's it's done. done. Like, the gloss, the gloss that I had, you know, when I was younger, the gloss that I thought it was all about. And then I got there and I'm like, nah. But that's okay because what I realized is that I wanted more. Actually, Jennifer Hudson, Dream Girls was my last red carpet. I, I was on a red carpet for, um, for about three hours. It was really, really cold. I was done. I was at the, the end of the queue and um, I was the only black um, female presenter. And I remember the, the PR person, you know, with Jennifer Hudson, they, they, they got the, the person before me was interviewed. And the PR woman was like, okay, we're done here. We need to go in. I was the last person. She could see that I was the last person and you were going to deny me that. Luckily, Ava DuVernay came through. Many people won't know, but before Ava was a filmmaker, a director, she was a, a, a publicist. So she did a lot of PR for, for, you know, for, for numerous people. And so we'd already built up a rapport. So when she saw me on the red carpet, she was like, no, we have one more person to see. We need to go and see Lisa before we go. And that she that. helped me. She helped me. Yeah. But that was another black woman helping another black woman because yeah. this other PR woman was ready just to, to, just to let me go. And I, and that it hurts. And I feel like a lot of people um, who are in this field, what they don't realize is that you see the, there's some, there's so many little slights going on and you within all of that have to really pick yourself up, understand what's going on in a moment, shake it off and literally um, come through with that one question, that one shot. But there were many moments and I just thought, you know what, I had to wait up because at this point I'm 27. I had to really wait up and say to myself, am I going to get to the place that I would like to get to in this current climate? The answer what, was no. What was that place though? What were, in your 20s, what was the goal? So the goal was to be on terrestrial TV. Again, we didn't have internet then. It was to be on terrestrial TV um, on a known channel. Um, but I just felt like I was knocking, 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 and I wasn't getting anywhere. And, you know, the older you get, the older you realize that you want other things in your life. Like I want to, I want to go on holiday. I want to, um, buy a house. I want to, you know, not, not have to work out, you know, how I'm going to pay rent. It just, it just didn't make sense. And so I thought, all right, I love, I do love presenting, but what else can I do that feels a little bit more meaningful now? It just so happened at the time I was working um, for NatureWorks, which is a center, a health center just near Selfridges and Bond Street. So upstairs is NatureWorks and downstairs is DanceWorks. Um, and I loved, I loved being, I loved being in that environment because obviously and I went to performing arts. Were you yes. not a dancer? Yeah, I was just about to say. Yes. Were you not like um, I was. dancing a couple things? Yes, I was. <laughs> You're not going to get away with this, Lisa. Like, come on. Michelle, why are you like this? 
<laughs> All right. So um, now we need oh, to go back. When I was five, I went to stage school. So the mm. big dream, the big dream was to be on Broadway, to do musicals. At eight or nine, I was in a pantomime at Lucian Theatre called Jack and a Beanstalk with Rod Hull and Emu, Cheryl Baker and Gary oh, Wilmot. Cheryl Baker. Can you Cheryl Baker. To the legends <laughs> of children's Do you know what I mean? The legends. I was living my best life at eight. I was out of school for like six weeks thinking I was famous. Like I loved it. Listen, I absolutely loved it. I had my whole career mapped out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. But at 16, something happened to my vocal cords and I had um, therapy for like 16 weeks. I went to see an osteopath. And after that, my, 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 my thyroid, uh, my larynx was, was, was better, but I lost the ability to sing completely. Oh gosh. Like literally. Oh, that must've been heartbreaking. It, it literally, it literally was, but I was in denial. I was like, no, my voice is going to come back. And I still went to performing arts at university. I still went, but the voice didn't come back. And so when I left university, you know, I, I love the entertainment industry, but I left university and I thought, okay, let me just be a dancer. Um, at the time when I was in uni, I danced for a dance group called Image. We were like Image and Size 9 were everything back in the days. And as a result, I got to do just one tour. But yeah, I, I got to I got to dance basically. And I, and I absolutely loved it. And uh, yeah, it was great. Look, there's been many, many moments. But I, 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 I gave up dance as well because... Again, there's, there's, you know, there's been pinnacle moments. So with the dancing, I auditioned for Victoria Beckham, um, Not Such an Innocent Girl. So I auditioned for that, um, to be in that video and to tour with her. It was a two-day audition. I got down to like the last 12. And by the last 12, I was told that I was now too tall. I get it because obviously, you ha- but you have to work oh, with yeah, the other dancers. They it's whittle true. it down. And that, I just thought that would have been a really good break for me. And then I thought, you know what? I'm done. I'm literally done. It's too hard. Like from the clickiness to just always constantly trying, 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 I literally was done. And so after dancing, I then entered into um, presenting. And my first interview was with Lamar um, when he came out of Fame Academy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember that show. That's when everyone loved Off Lamar with the green eyes. In it? In it? Yes. What I'm hearing from these two things is that something happened and it disturbed your peace. Yes. It made you think like this, even though this is my goal, I'm not at peace with where it's taking me. And at that young age to sort of recognize that, where did that come from? Because in that pursuit for those passions and those goals, sometimes you think you can sort of put that as your pinnacle mm. and you can ignore those things where it's starting to affect your mental health. It's starting to affect your self-esteem. It's starting to affect your relationships with the people around you because you end up just working all the time. Like that takes quite a strength of character to walk away and sort of recognize that. Yeah. And, you know, just, just hearing you say that I didn't, I didn't really realize at the time, at the time I just thought like I was a failure and I'm mm. putting something again. And actually in my life, I've quit a lot of things. And actually it's not that I'm quitting because I'm giving up. I'm quitting because it just doesn't sit well with me anymore. Um, And I didn't actually really realize that. And so moving into my thirties or coming up to approaching my thirties, I actually did feel like a failure. I felt like I hadn't found the thing that I could literally sit in and thriving based upon my talents 
And I did feel like at numerous points, there were just too many blocks. I'm like, what are you trying to show? Like, what is it meant to be this difficult? Because there's just too many blocks. But, you know, in life, you have different paths, different things come in. And it's just about how you navigate. That's all. Yeah. I was going to ask, how do you, because everyone's had disappointments in their 20s, things that, you know, didn't pan out the way they wanted to. And I know you said approaching 30 felt like a failure. How did you sort of reconcile that with yourself? How do you deal with disappointment? Well, you know what? I embarked on a training course. So when I when I worked at NatureWorks, I was a receptionist. It opened a whole new world for me and that was alternative therapy. So it was everything from... Um, aromatherapy to to Feldenkrai to um, acupuncture to even psychic spiritual healing like it really opened up a different world to me and it was the reason why I entered counseling is because I was uh, um, a therapist called Mairead Armstrong came to me and she was like I've been noticing that my clients turn up 20 minutes earlier and it's not because they're eager to see me. It's because I want to spend time with you. You oh. have, yeah. They're like, you have something. You've got something. So you've yeah. got something. And your ability to relate to people is just, it's just unquestionable. So she said, look, I think you should consider doing an introduction to counseling course. See if you like it. And then just, just see, just, 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 you know, just see. So I listened to her, I Googled, I found uh, a course, did the 12 weeks, absolutely loved look it. Look at that. I absolutely loved it and didn't look back. I went all the way after that to HR, um, sorry, to high professional diploma and then to a degree. And really doing that kind of deep dive work, that deep inner work, it literally reset everything for me. It really enabled me to see the beauty of counselling and how, look, if I could make everyone and literally make, forget the word invite. Mm. I use the word invite a lot, but if I could literally make everyone do, force them, frog march them to the door, I literally would because I feel like so much of societal's problems is because no one really truly acknowledges who they are. We live in a blame. Yeah. We live in a blame culture and it's everyone else's fault. And I think if everyone just embarked on it, just 12 weeks to begin with, I think the world would actually be a better place. Um, I know that sounds really airy fairy and whatever, but I genuinely believe it. And it's interesting in that those disappointments led you to another passion. And I guess that's the lesson. I guess a disappointment can actually lead you to something that would make you happy. So not taking those disappointments as failures, but gaining information from them, because at least from them, you realize, okay, that's not going to work for me because it doesn't appeal to my sense of peace or sense of self. I don't want to be in that situation because that is messed up and that's not going to do anything for me (laughs) either. So at least you gained information about what you like and what you don't like, and then that can push you into another area. So I guess it's reframing those disappointments. Exactly. And the reality is, I don't know where it's come from, but there is this unspoken thing that at 21, it's meant to feel like this. At 25, it's meant to feel like that. Mm-hmm. At 30, you're meant to have that. By the time you're 35, then it looks like that. By 40, you should just be more than established. I don't know where it's come from. I've never read it. It's not written down anywhere, I don't believe. But it makes no sense. It literally makes no sense and it's the cause of so many people's mini existential crisis 
Like we always talk about a crisis at 40 or men having a crisis yeah, at like 50. Yeah, the midlife crisis. The midlife yeah, crisis. car or something. But you know, <laughs> but there, we have mini crises all the time. And I don't even know we're really truly aware of what those triggers are, but they, they're not based in reality. Everyone's path is different. And I think at the time when I was making my different decisions to go to a different path, I was, my mum would even tell you, she was like, what are you doing? You're a jack of all trades. You're a master of none. This doesn't make sense, but it kind of does make sense, but it doesn't. Like, can you just be secure, please? And yeah. now- and that's another four- thing. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, go continue. on, go on. I was going to say, that's another thing, the family pressures, because that's another influence on how you feel about how you, where you are in your life at that time. So you mentioned your mum. Yeah, exactly. You know, mothers just want, my mum just wanted me to be secure. Security, security is, is everything. And having a good job was important. And, you know, back in the day, the good job was either working for BBC, being a nurse, working in a post office, working in a bank, being a lawyer, like those kind of like financially um, perceived uh, state, uh, stable kind of industries. And to, well, look, from the time I said to her, I'm doing performing arts, she just looked at me. And then I think she kind of accepted <laughs> it over the years. <laughs> like, that is my child. That's who she is. It's fine. I can't, I can't force it. And I just looked at her and I was like, but it's your fault. You're the one who took me to stage yeah. school at five. What do you expect? Yeah, that's um, supposed to be a hobby because my you know? dad also taught me to do gymnastics and dance. And when I told her I to do dance for A-level, he looked at me like, yeah, excuse me? Dance for what? <laughs> I got dance in your bedroom. If I dance for exam? And then he didn't get it. So You know, so like looking back... The, the, the dots that seemed so disjointed weren't actually disjointed at all. They actually all connect together. So, so you know, a dancer to presenter, presenter to counsellor, counsellor to HR business partner, to now change agent, to now author. It actually all makes sense. And even though it seems, it probably to some people's ears, it still may seem janky. But what you'll find is that at the heart of all of those roles are are my passions, um, but people are at the heart of it. Like I, I am a people person. I do love people, and I, my passion is to to help people be the best that they can be. But through the notion and the understanding that they have true agency, life will always serve us with challenges. But if you're flaky to the wind, you're always going to be in trouble. And it's not my job as a counsellor to keep saving. The fact that counsellors exist is incredible. But I'm all of, I'm all for not waiting for you to be on the floor for me to pick you up. I'm trying to catch you way before that. You should know when you're heading down a rocky path. We all, like there's nothing special about me and my knowledge. Like the knowledge is out there. I just don't think there's anywhere outside of the counselling room that invites people to self-explore. Yeah. And that place is a place where, you know, people are having emotional difficulties. I'm just saying we could get there a lot quicker. My gosh, this feels like a free session. <laughs> I'm not paying Lisa. I get mates based on this. The rest of the listeners, this is a free session if you didn't know. Okay. I'm going to start up so and go fund me. You lot can drop your donations. Thank you. <laughs> but moving on, because I like the way you sort of framed your journey and how it's all connected. So... You're a published author now. Can we give yourself a round of applause and pat on the back <laughs> and toot toots and all of that good stuff? How did that opportunity come about? Like how 
How was that born? Simona's still single. Yes. How did that come about for you? So on Facebook, I used to write statuses. Like, I remember these. (laughs) (laughs) I was really opinionated back in the day. Like I had something to say about everything. I really, really did. And that included my dating life. So whilst it wasn't a full on expose, it was a little snippet of guys, just guess what? Like this happened today. Ah, or I did it again. Saw my husband. He didn't approach. I didn't approach. And well, I'm still single, aren't I? Like, this is long. Um, <laughs> I used to live for those updates. I used to live for those updates because they were so relatable. I'd be like rushing to Facebook to see, oh, what happened with so-and-so, like TK Matsman and stuff like that. It, it was, was crazy. So and the way you told those stories, it was so vivid. So I, because I know you as well, I could see you in those positions. I see you at the bus stop. I could see you getting off the bus. And it was, it was a story. Even though you saw them as status updates, they were like episodes of a story to the rest of us. Yeah. And so it wasn't until 2017 when I, I posted about Mr. TK Maxx. Um, it was a guy that I met outside of TK Maxx in Lucian that I really kind of like felt that I was onto something. The way the comments just, just how people are expressing how that interaction made them feel. It was great because so many people had read, you know, different times where I wanted to approach and didn't feel like I had the courage to. So then now this moment where I'm saying, girls, you'll be so proud of me. I literally approached, <laughs> I did it. I got his number. And oh my God. Like it was, it was something. So from that moment, you know, I thought, you know, I do have something. Let me just try and write something. So I spoke to a few of my guy friends. And can I just say, guys were just as onto it as the women. Like, ah, I had were guys, they commenting though? Were they commenting? You know what? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few okay. were. A few were. Because some of these were. guys, they pre on the, pre on the low because they don't want to be like, oh, I'm out there, I'm out there. But they yeah. really are. They're like, listen. I, I actually groove you. I would, I would bump into a few guys like on the road and they'll be like, Hey Lise, how are you? What's going on with TK Maxx? Like they, they were just as intrigued. It was hilarious. Um, but um, I, I got a few guy friends like Emil, um, uh, Emil socialized. Yeah. Shout out to Emil. He was like, no, you've got something like I'm interested in working with you to turn it into like a web series. I'm like, okay, great. So I started, I started to write it. And then my friend Filuke, um, she's the founder of the Precious Awards. She saw this competition by Jacaranda Books and she's like, look, you've got to do this. So it was a competition where they were looking for 20 black British writers in the hope to publish them in all in the same year, 2020. And I was like, do you know what? Let me just do it. Like this, it, this would probably make more sense to write a book first and then from the book, see if I could turn it into something else. So I took the challenge. I took the challenge. And you hadn't written a novel or attempted to write a novel before? Ever. I hadn't ever. I think the submission amount, I can't remember now, it was either 40,000 words or 80,000 words. I can't remember. Wow. Did it, um, visited my friend um, on holiday, submitted it on deadline day at Miami Airport. Listen, <laughs> it, was, it was serious. Like they were calling my name on the tannoy. Like, oh my God, I had to send it because if I got on that flight, I would have missed a deadline. I did that, felt really accomplished, Was had the sweats, had all of it. As soon as I got on a flight, I ordered myself a wine to congratulate myself. Leave and um, 
And then, yeah, and then I didn't, I forgot about it. And I didn't know when they called me to say that I'm one of the 20, I was like, what? Like, seriously, what? Like, I wouldn't advise anyone else to, to leave it that late again. I don't, <laughs> I actually submitted my best. I didn't submit my best, but right, okay. there was something about the story that captured Valerie Brandes and the team. And, and here we are. So I'm now a published author. Um, Simone is still single, is birthed and alive. And, and so, um, what is, what is it about? Because obviously I, I know what it's about, but for anyone who's not, who hasn't seen it, who hasn't seen all the articles, Simone what is it about? Yeah, so Simona's still single, follows the journey of Simona Brown, who's 37. It follows her journey spanning three years. Um, It starts where she is triggered. She realizes that she is 37. She blinked. I mean, she was 28 and she blinked and she's now 37. I can relate. You know? I thought 25. You know? I thought 24. You look 24. That, girl, I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> I mean, like, that should be the standard response when I say things like that. I love it. I was saying to my friend yesterday, whenever I tell someone my age, I'm 35, whenever I tell someone my age, I wait for them to say, oh, you don't look 35. If they don't say it, it's war. <laughs> yeah. It is war. I'm telling you. That don't crack. That don't crack. At all. At but all. she, she... She literally woke up one night. It's how the book begins. She woke up and she was just like, oh my God, I'm, I'm triggered. I'm having a mini crisis. I don't know how I got here. Um, can I still, is there still time for me to find someone and still have children? She's literally wondering, is there anything else she could have done in the past? And is there anything else that she could be doing now to change her circumstance? And so it's a very candid, um, raw journey um alongside her sisterhood which consists of her sister and three of her really good friends i'd like to believe it's a relatable humorous but real expression of black women in the uk and how they potentially may be feeling if they are still single and are of a similar age she's 37 um but you know anyone can read it um, it's from the black perspective. Again, anyone can read it. Yeah. A lot of men have actually read it, which is fantastic. And I just feel like I'm just trying to bring something to the literary world in terms of romance. It literally is just Simona's insight into who she is alongside the encounters that she has with the various misters. So I call them each chapter, when you get to, I think, chapter 13, each chapter shows you a different mister. I call them Mr. Bermuda, Mr. Barbados, Mr. Guyana, yeah. Mr. Driver, Mr. Oh, Coffee yeah. Cup Man, Mr. TK oh. Maxx. I call them oh. Mr. Oh, we all have those. We all yeah? have those because in the group chat, I hate saying someone's name. I'm saying, <laughs> let me not put the code names because someone actually might be able to decipher. <laughs> and, that's, and that's also just paying homage to how I used to share on Facebook. It would yeah. be like Mr. TK Maxx or Mr. This or Mr. Pretty Eyes. Um, you know, the people that I'm talking about don't know I'm talking about them. And so it's not fair. So the least I could do is protect 
you know, protect their identity. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Mr. TK Maxx knew that I was talking about him on Facebook. Was he on your Facebook? Was he your Facebook friend? He wasn't my Facebook friend because the relationship was quite new, but we had a discussion. He knew. And actually, I when, when I told him that on Facebook, I'm referring to him as Mr. TK Maxx, he actually told me that he and his people referred to me as as Miss TK. So, you know, ah, it, it kind of it kind of linked well. Ways went both ways so See, yeah you gossip in the group chat about girls too they always make it out like it's always women talking about men you guys do it too don't lie and I think that's really important to acknowledge because you know in in the discussion of romance and love it's always from the female perspective and this actually is there is room and there is space to hear from black men especially black men who are maybe 37 who are also still single and still want children i just think there is still room and space to hear about you know black men's opinions and thoughts mm-hmm. on romance because I, I don't really hear I, yeah, i've never read romance that. romance that's the thing you hear the perspective on dating Yes. Hot women yes. smashing this, chopping that. But romance <laughs> and dating. I know. I hate that word. It's awful. It's terrible, right? Oh. But you don't hear romance and like men to just embrace that. Yeah, they want to be romance they, themselves. They want those words of affirmation. They want that quality time. They like, really it's not do. all physical. But I think with men, you always get that narrative of the physical first. Exactly. And actually, it wasn't until I went to an event when Paul Carrick Bronson came over when he had these matchmaking oh, yes. business. <laughs> Hello. Well, do you want to explain sorry, to the sorry. listeners what that... <laughs> no, what the- I mean... No, no, he's a happily married man. I'm not trying anything. I'm just saying I appreciate his mind and the way he thinks. And yes, the way he opens up the conversation. Yeah, he was really important. When, you know, when he came over to, to the UK and he did the, the first event that I attended, I just thought, oh my God, this is really, really refreshing. And it was him who actually said that, you know, men want compliments too. And that was the first time I actually acknowledged that. I mean, this is a good, maybe, I don't think it's 10 years. It's, it's, under, it's definitely under 10 years, but it was the first time that I actually acknowledged, oh yeah, of course men would want compliments. Of course they would. Yeah, it's true. You forget about that. I think even in the dating experience, sometimes I'm sometimes guilty of is forget is like forgetting that men actually have feelings. So Michelle, <laughs> because, <laughs> sorry. This is bad. <laughs> But you know what, Sometimes though, you make... Because men are presented as like, oh, they, they'll brush things off. Yeah. So if if you don't pick up their phone, it's not going to hurt them as much because you've got that narrative as they don't really care. Yeah, yeah and you're not alone. But I, I do think this is part of the problem. I feel like in terms of emotions, women have the hierarchy on that. And actually, it's really, really wrong. And so the question is, you know, we're talking about com- being complicit here. We're talking about so much stuff in society at the moment. But a question that I'd love to ask is, how many women have shut down and silenced men because they think their emotions take more precedence? Do you know what yeah. I mean? So like there are, there, are, but there are things, there are really things that we need to look at. We need to talk more yeah. about what does healthy relationships, healthy relationships look like. We talk about you know, the signs, which I talk about in the book as well, signposts. We talk about signposts a lot and, you know, crosses and the uh, uh, when it comes to men. But what does the green light look like? What does the green light look like? What are the yeses? I've, I think sometimes, you know, we focus too much on what men should be doing and what they're not doing and not really acknowledging the men that are doing and celebrating that because an emotionally intelligent man, for me, is so much more important than a wealthy one. 
And has that changed what you, you're now prioritizing or what you have, you have prioritized after your 30s? versus um, your 20s not really always not really that? yeah not really like there's a there's a um in the book Simone is looking for bluefin tuna I've always mm. been looking for bluefin tuna <laughs> I've always been looking for bluefin tuna I don't want cod yeah. <laughs> I don't want just PR PR as my mum would say yeah I don't want any any I don't want any, any, any. Yeah. like I'm looking for, comp- I've always been looking for particular components. Particular. I think mm-hmm. the only thing that has changed as I've got older is that I've been able to name the component. Now I can, I can bring in emotional intelligence because I realize how a man who understands his self and his own feelings, you know, really helps us in the, in our communication with each other and how that is actually vital because I've had relationships before where, you know, the man felt like he couldn't communicate and I know what that feels like and that's a struggle. So, um, but the, the essence of what I've always been looking for, I don't think has changed that much, um, at all. Um, I come from a single parent household and so, the, what, what a couple looks like and how it should feel, I've never seen. But, you know, I, I, I looked to, you know, music like Neo Soul. Um, I looked to films like Love Jones and Love and Basketball. You know, I, yeah. I, I basically looked outside of my household to find things that I felt looked good, looked healthy, looked special, looked sensual. And that is how I really built my idea about what I want. And just luckily for me, it's, it's actually healthy. It's not, you know, it's not a unicorn idea. It's actually healthy and it's, it's tangible. And I'm and just very did lucky. You always, did you always think it was possible? Because I know that there's using those references of movies and Hollywood and those films. And sometimes with the disappointments when it comes to relationships, you could think, oh, is that just television? Mm. will this actually happen for me? Did you ever yeah. feel like that? I did actually, which is really weird because I didn't really <laughs> see it. <laughs> it's really weird because I didn't really see it, but I did think it was possible for me because I think I, I realized from a very early age that what I'm asking for is actually basic. Yeah. But, but I've been Thank told, you. but I've been told or it feels like that what I'm asking for is a lot and it's actually not. And so I just felt like I... I was never willing to compromise on something that that was less than what I wanted for myself. I wasn't going to compromise. I'd rather be single than to compromise. And so, you know, in the book, um, Simone is still single. She's been consciously single for a while. And I use the word consciously in there because for me, myself, I was consciously single for a while. I knew I didn't have to be single. I could have found someone. I could have had someone. But I just I just knew that that having someone from that place was probably going to do me more damage. And I'd rather sit with myself and, and have fun with my girlfriends and have an amazing journeys and, 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 and really kind of take time with myself as opposed to jump into something because having a relationship is the thing that tells you you're desirable. I, yeah. I was never working from that hymn sheet. Yeah. On that, how how autobiographical, I can never say that word properly, <laughs> is Simona's? There are parts of me in there, which is why it feels realistic, which is why it feels the way it does. To say how much I don't work in percentages, I think that ruins yeah. the story. Um, 
but it's like some is it's embellished for creative reasons. It's, it's embellished. I think the found aspects of the foundation of the story, I'd say, has come from me. But then it's flickered with other things that I've read. It's it's flickered with maybe some friends' experiences, things that I've read, things that I feel like is current, and I've turned that into a story so that the listeners can see how Simona processed it. So, so the book, the book you see in real time, you see in flashbacks and you also hear her internal thoughts through her journal. I I love how a reviewer said the other day, um, Simona still single is genre bending because it is genre bending. Mm. It's a romance novel that can also easily sit in the self-help section. I get that vibe when you're reading it. Do you? Again, bring in in the counselling element to it. So, you know, if you don't want to come counselling, let me bring counselling to you. Like, (laughs) it was reading me for Phil from telling you. (laughs) (laughs) It made me check myself a couple of times like, oh, and oh. (laughs) Really? Oh, that's great. I love that. I love that. I feel like, again, it's like I, when I look back um, over my different careers, I feel like, you know, I, it's really weird that in hindsight, I do feel like I've been true to myself in, in all the careers that I've done. But I feel like where I'm at now, which is 41, is actually a really good place where I can utilize all of my skills and experiences and actually still have numerous job titles, but nothing is removed. It is literally who I am. Um, and I, and I am only now showing up in all areas as my whole self. So, you know, as an author, there's there's lessons and learnings in there, but it's not me talking at you. It's just me, again, inviting you to self-explore. As a HR business partner, again, I'm not here to take on everyone's issues and what they want. I'm, I'm here to, to shine a mirror back to you. It's not my job as a HR business partner to make everything right for everyone. It's what else can you be doing in your own time to make, ensure that you are that person that you want to be in the next five years. Yeah. And I like what you said there in that at 41, you feel like you've come into yourself and you don't really hear that because everyone expects you to do that much, much earlier by weird society standards, yeah. but also the view that you still got more to come. Even oh, though, like 41, there's more things you're going to learn. There's more journeys. There's you might take a completely different path. Is that you might be like Oprah at 50? Like, mate, I might knows. change again. I might change exactly. again. And and I feel like that. I, th- I feel like everyone is limitless, but it's society that places limits and places you in boxes. And I just don't really want to live like that. Even at the time, as I said, it felt a bit janky, and I was questioning my decisions. But now I can really look back and just see that how I am and how I show up is so much more rich because of everything that I've chosen and been through and experienced. And, and I'm a believer in just doing things in a different way anyway. If, if I can just, you know, do what I'm doing in a different way, but it's in a way that is ideal for me, then, then yeah. it's, it's great. It can't be wrong. So what's, what's next for you, do you feel like? Or the unknown is what the adventure is? Oh, uh, yeah. But you know what? Sometimes I, I don't sit well in the unknown. <laughs> I'm a bit impatient. I do like to plan as much as I can plan. Um, but what's next? Um, so I've started writing the screenplay of Simona's Still Single. Oh, 
listen, I really feel like I take the hard roads. And, and again, I, I, I commented on this on Instagram the other day that I really feel like I always take the hard roads. And actually, there is no hard road. There's only decisions. You're either going to do something from a place of love or you're going to do something from a place of fear. They're the only two decisions, right? And so I'm doing a screen play because I love Simona and I do feel that Simona's got a place on TV and um, I just want to see if I can do this in another format, the same thing, but in another format. So I'm giving myself permission to, to play around with that. Also, I'm just trying to further build up um, my work as a change agent because I feel like, um, yeah, it's important. And I want to work with people in a in an interesting capacity that helps them get out of their own way. Perfect. I love that. In helping people get out of their own way, we actually have a dilemma. That was the perfect segue. Oh my gosh, I'm a G. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, we do have a dilemma from someone okay. who will remain nameless. But I want to Is it you, Michelle? Is it you? Is it you? Listen, why are you trying to draw me out? <laughs> it is not me. But I can relate. So, um, the dilemma is um, men are no longer approaching women like they used to back in the day. Modern technology has made people lazy mm-hmm. um, and really dismissive. How can I shoot my shot, even though deep down inside, I really think it's a man's job to do that? Well, I think first of all, you have to get over the fact that you think it's a man's job to do that, because mm. if that is how you feel about it, you're going to go in with it in in a sense with a sense of resentment and yeah. energy is energy. A man's going to feel that you don't really want to come over. And if that is the case, what you do say is going to come out janky. So I think <laughs> the first thing is to let go of the fact that you think it's a man's place only to approach make peace with the fact that we're currently in a different climate and it looks different to maybe how it was when, you know, when we used to rave back in the day. Um, And then I would say to look at yourself and your competency level. So what do you think you're weak at? Mm. If you are to approach, what do you think you're weak at? Like is your opener, do you have game in your opener or is it a bit (laughs) dead? Like, you do you have it on your opening line? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you have a bitch resting face? Because if you do, mm. then that's not going to go down well. So you've got to like pay more attention to be, to be and feel and look open. You've also got to give up the sense that you might feel rejected because that's, oof. because women, you know, we're not used to approaching. We're therefore not, we're also not masters therefore in dealing with rejection. There we go. So we've got to take away the ego and all you're yeah. doing is making it breezy. So you've got to be breezy with it. So if you do like someone, like you lose nothing. Again, Paul Carrot Bronson said men like compliments. You lose nothing with just going up and just say, hey, just saw you from over there. Like, I just want to say that, I mean, this is winter now. You can't see much apart from a, a, a scarf. <laughs> a scarf and a mask. It's all in the eye. All right. Yeah, that's point. a really good point. But you know what? You just work with what you got. Work with it. Yeah. <laughs> just work with it. I eyes think, are the window to the soul anyway. That's all you need. <laughs> that's that's it. That's it. But you know, I do I do get it. I do get that, you know, again, it's unspoken. 
But I do get that most women feel that if a woman approaches a man, she's laying all her cards on the table and a man, regardless of his status, will take advantage. I get it. But I think there's a way you can do it. You can approach and then leave the seed with them and then they come back to you. Yeah, it's a so dance. It's a dance. Life. Exactly. Like you take one step forward, they take <laughs> one step back and you alternate. That's basic rhythm. <laughs> it is basic rhythm. But I feel I remember like... there was a section in the book as well where yes. there's like a, there was a girl and she's flirting and she gives like a tip on how you flirt and you reel them in. And I think That's it, right. It's Listen, doing that as well. That, I will say, okay, exclusive. I will say <laughs> that part in the book is completely true. That uh, actually happens. That actually happens. And I'm just Yeah, that bit in the book actually happened. And I got an education that day. Like, wow. there's a whole two- toolbox that we don't even know about. Yeah. Because a lot of us were raised to keep our head in a book. Don't worry about man. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah, we, we get to our late 20s and parents want to say, oh, what, where's, where's the man? Where's the husband? Hello? Did you give me any training? No. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. There's another part of the book that resonates with me so deeply. I think it was the, the bus one because I've actually shot my shot twice. Yes. In my whole life, twice. <laughs> one time I was all right successful. There was this guy that I always used to see on the train. And he was my type. He was like dark skin, like bald. He filled out his suit. I used to see it at Canada Water Station all the time. Hey. And we'd always just look at each other and nothing would happen. He would never approach or even when we got on the same train he would maneuver himself so that he was close to me and then we'd always glance at each other but you know my I I cringed because even if he was to approach on a quiet packed train I would want the ground to swallow me up so I don't actually know what I wanted him to do in that moment Mm. but this would happen I think it happened maybe for five months and I'd always go to the group chat the guy on the train the guy on the train that was his name and we'd never said anything and then one day I was like next time I see him I'm doing something I'm doing something. So got on the train, saw him. I was like, okay, he's here. What do I do? What do I do? I took out a piece of paper from my bag, my diary, wrote down my number, didn't put my name. Then when I was getting off, because I would always get off before him, I'd walk past him, put it in his hand and walked off the train. It was guaranteed there were people on the train who saw that. I thought, oh, wow. Okay. But I did it and I didn't have to see anyone. I thought, okay, cool. And I don't see him regularly. So I thought, okay, it's not going to be too much of a drama if I don't hear from him. 20 minutes later, my phone rings. <gasps> and he's like, oh, I'm so happy you did that. Yes. I've talked to you for ages, but I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't know if you'd want me to do it because we we're always on the train and blah, blah, blah. So we ended up talking. We went on a few dates and it fizzled. It, we weren't really compatible in that sense, I suppose. Yeah. But the fact that I did it, I sort of pat myself on the back. That's amazing. That. Yeah, look but at that. The second time, I I thought yes, that game that gassed me up. So I tried to do it another time. Same sort of dance. We'll see a guy, but this one I used to see him all the time. Again, thought oh, well, it's happened before. I can do this again. I wrote down my name and number, and I, but I said if you are single, and here's my number. Love put it. it in his hand. Um, why did I not hear anything back? Oh, but maybe he was a single. Maybe he was a single. This is it. I don't look at me. It's possibly because he wasn't single. It's got nothing to do with the fact that he probably didn't find me attractive. No. But let's just go with the first point. Like whatever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that's not the point. It's stupid because I would see him all the time. So still after that point, I would see him at the train station. It's okay. Cringiest thing. Nah. That's the thing. It's what you say. We don't know how to handle rejection and just chalk it up as 
Oh, well. Like what you did was incredible. And, and, and as you said, there's a bit in a book that talks about the same kind of method. Yeah. But like you just got to stand in your power. Like you did it. He didn't call back. And mm. so you didn't, you didn't miss the opportunity. You literally got the courage and you rose to, you know, you rose to the challenge. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's great. On both counts, I think it's great. One kind of like worked, the other kind of like didn't, but you, you're not still there left, not, not wondering. Like we know, like the whole, you know, the Metro's rush hour crush column exists for a reason. Mm. Like it is two columns or half a column of hope, yeah. hoping that the person that they saw will read the comment or read the post, identify themselves and then use the text number to listen. It needs to be changed too. I didn't have any courage column. I mean, it's beautiful. I love reading it, but we need to not do this. Like if there is an opportunity, I beg you, just, you know, you don't lose anything. You, you actually lose more beating yourself up and kicking yourself and wondering what if, than if you just, even if you got to the paper, the paper methods, I think that's great. Yeah. Maybe that's how the lady can shoot her shot. Yeah, it's so. hard now, but I guess you've got to find a way to slide in the DMs in this day and age. <laughs> I mean, Instagram. So social, how would you do that? Just go into the DMs if you if you know his um his his Instagram handle. Yeah, go into the DMs. Yeah, Why what not? What would you do though? Be like, hey, boo. No, boo. <laughs> Listen, would you want a man to come up to you and be like, hey, boo? No, I can't stand that. Can't stand it. You just got to talk. What you should do is comment on something that they've posted. Maybe just make yeah, it first normal convo. Yeah, DMs. Yeah, I mean it's really interesting at the moment because there are numerous ways you could do it. Um, no way is wrong, but I just feel like if everyone just remembers how they would like to be spoken to in an opening, that is that is just what needs to be at the forefront. I'm not out here saying that I'm a a dating expert now, but yeah. what I will say is just that. I felt better every time that I sh- sh- tried to shoot my shot than just looking and we're eyeballing each other. And then the moment's gone and I'm like, oh my God, I just potentially missed out on my husband. Like, this is long. Like, I feel like a lot of our um, power is given over to the man and therefore our ability to be loved is just all in their hands. And I'm just saying, yeah. let's just shake this up a little bit. Let's just shake yeah. it up. That's all. And then we've got to get out of our ego. Okay. He rejected you or he just didn't take the bite or he said he wasn't interested. Cool. Keep it moving. Cool. Keep it moving. There's plenty of others. How did you meet your significant other? Did you shoot your shot? I didn't. The I, other way around? I, I didn't have to. Uh, we met oh. at an event um, and yeah, we got talking. And the rest is history. Normal conversation. Normal oh. conversation. Yeah. You see the old school way. And that's what I always wanted. I always had problems with dating apps. I just I just couldn't get into it. I mean, dating apps now have exploded due to the fact that we've all been in and summer hasn't been summer, you know, um, and it's, it's looking different because it has to. Um, but I always wanted to meet my guy, like in real life. I wanted to be able to check the vibe, just to yeah, see you're very about energy, isn't it? I'm really, I've yeah. always been like that. I'm really sensitive to energy like that. So I really wanted to to meet a person in that way. And so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm glad I have. We're going to wrap up now a little bit. Um, but in the spirit of like talking about during this conversation, essentially, we've 
you've mentioned various people who have helped you on your journey, like even Ava DuVernay. If there was one person that you would want to shout out who is over 30 and is like an example of success later on in life, what what would you who would that Do you know be? what? There's a few. Am I allowed to say more than one? Ah, oh, Lisa, I always Sorry. push boundaries. That's what, that's what I'm about. <laughs> push the boundary. Exactly. How many do you have? I have four. Ah. Hey. Right. You can do it. Thanks. Thank Go you. Ahead. So there is <laughs> Natalie Maddox, who is the founder of House Gospel Choir. She is Ooh. incredible, um, doing some amazing work. And I do really believe she's going to go down in history. Um, there's Lorraine Russell. She's the founder of Noir Fit Fest. Like what she did this year was incredible. Um, there's also Selma Nichols, the founder of Looks Like Me. The way she began the casting agency, the origins of how she began is an incredible uh, journey and story, which, uh, yeah, which everyone needs to hear. And lastly, Lisa Anderson is the founder of Black British Art. Um, and what she's doing is just incredible and necessary because where are, are the, where are the black artists? That they don't have the same amount of exposure as, you know, other artists. And so she is bringing those those amazing people and their work to light. And so that's why I know I, I wasn't trying to be a rebel, but, you know, I just <laughs> felt like these people are really important and I just, I couldn't do one. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. You're for welcome. Being the first guest on the podcast. Thanks for asking great conversation. No, thanks so thank for you asking so much. me and thank you for doing this podcast. Like Success Over 30, I think it's a fantastic title, but more so, even more so, it's it's fantastic in terms of the origins and, and the reasons as to why you're doing it. Because I feel like if it can help people not have a mini life crisis because at 30 they weren't everything they hoped to be, then it's it's already done its job. It's already doing its job. Like you are literally changing the game and it's, it's, it's necessary. So thank you for... I know you had this idea for a while. So thank yeah, you for saying yeah. yes to you and, and just getting on and doing it. It's important. So I wish oh, you all the best with it. I know it's going to do well. And yeah, ma'am, it's all good. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at I am Lisa Bent and on my website, which is lisabent.com. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. For more inspo and to carry on the conversation, follow us on Instagram at successafter30podcast. Until the next time, bye.